Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. I hope everyone had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Today we are going to talk about a variety of things. To be perfectly honest, I still don't know exactly what has gone down news-wise over the past few days. I decided starting about last Wednesday or Thursday that I was going to kind of just check out because Twitter was just becoming too much for me. So the first order of business for me, because I was getting so bogged down in all the craziness and the chaos that's going on, was to take Twitter off my phone which I just didn't even realize before how much time I was spending on Twitter until I actually just took the app off my phone. It requires so much work to log on to Twitter on your computer. So I really just got off of Twitter for like a week or so, which meant that I had no idea what was going on in the news, which was actually kind of nice. A little weird because I like to be in the know, Um, but I think it was good for the soul. I think it was good for the mind, and I'm still not going to put Twitter on my phone. I think it's good for me to have that barrier of entry, having to actually get out my computer, log on to Twitter to be able to scroll through, and then that means that I only spend about like 30 minutes on Twitter a day rather than mindlessly scrolling like several hours a day. My little screen time report, if you have an iPhone, you might get one of these. It's very disheartening some weeks how much time I spend on my phone, but it was down like 70% this past week just because I deleted Twitter off my phone. And so I think I'm going to probably keep that up. All that to say, I came into this episode not knowing what the heck I was going to talk about. I asked a lot of you guys on Instagram to give me some subjects. And so I'm going to talk about a few of the things that you guys suggested. The number one thing you guys asked me to talk about was Candace Owens and Cardi B, which honestly, I was surprised that so many of you brought that up for me to break down and talk about because I kind of thought, okay, it's out there in the open. Everyone sees what's going on. Can I really add any insightful or beneficial commentary to this? Any analysis that you guys would actually think is important? I'm not sure. But in case you didn't know what happened, I am going to break it down and I will give you a little bit of what I think. And a lot of you guys have been asking me to talk about WAP and I have been avoiding it because there's really not that much for me to say. I think you guys can probably anticipate my thoughts about the song, Um, but sure, I will indulge you. I will give you a little bit of my take on what I think about it. And then we are going to talk about some really good news that I actually did hear about when I was unplugged from Twitter. President Trump basically defunding uh, critical race theory in the federal government and why I think that is such a wonderful thing. And then we are going to talk um, a little bit about what that is and why I think the church is failing in regards to pushing back against critical race theory and some thoughts that I had over the weekend. You know what happens when you're unplugged from social media? Your mind, it seems like, has more room to be creative and imaginative and uh, to think thoughts that are outside of what's going on right in front of you, which I think is very healthy and good. I just think about this as an aside, but I think about in high school how I didn't have all of this social media. We have Facebook, but I'm not even sure we had the Facebook app on our phones. 
And when I was in high school, I graduated from high school in 2010. So I don't even remember when the iPhone came out uh, and when I got one or like when all of these apps were on our phone. But I know that we didn't have Snapchat. I know that we didn't have Instagram and we didn't have Twitter and we just weren't political. I mean, I remember Barack Obama becoming president when I was in high school, but we just didn't really talk about a lot of these controversial issues and we just weren't plugged in and in the know, which maybe was not not great in high school. Maybe we should have been more plugged in and more knowledgeable, but it did allow us and it allowed our minds to have space to think about other things. And so I spent my nights when I was in high school reading. Now I was talking to my mom about this the other day. The things I was reading were trashy teen fiction novels. They were like Twilight and what else was it? Avalon High, things like that in high school that probably had no intellectual benefit. But I was reading some other things, too. I was reading some C.S. Lewis. But anyway, I still think that reading those trashy novels was better for my brain than it would have been, you know, scrolling on Instagram or uh, using Snapchat or whatever it is. I just fear for young people today that, one, they're overly politicized because they're so plugged into social media 24-7, but also that they're minds are not uh, given the same challenge that uh, generations before them were when we were in high school and we were younger. We had no option but to read and to do things that were actually a little bit at least intellectually stimulating. And I think that's part of the reason why we see so often young people today, one, they can't write. A lot of young people just cannot write. They have terrible grammar and they have uh, just an inability to articulate any kind of critical argument. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm afraid it is because they are so plugged into social media. So anyway, this is my encouragement to you, whether you are a teenager, my age, older, to unplug from social media, even if it's just a few days, give your mind a little room to breathe, maybe do some journaling. That always really helps me kind of get my thoughts flowing. And so I will uh, read to you or I will talk to you about some of the thoughts that I was having over the weekend as I was unplugged from the news. Okay, first, let's talk about Candace Owens and Cardi B. I don't have to tell you guys who these people are, right? Well, maybe some of you don't know who Cardi B is. She is a female rapper. You know exactly who Candace Owens is. I've had her on my podcast. I was on her podcast for the second time, her Prager U podcast this past Sunday. So if you haven't watched that on Prager U's uh, YouTube channel or listened to it uh, on the Prager U Candace Owens podcast, then you can go do that. We had a wonderful conversation about motherhood. You probably saw she announced that she is expecting and uh, just how to prepare the future generations for all the craziness that's to come. So make sure you go listen to or watch that. Uh, But Candace Owens was also on a podcast, The Ben Shapiro Show. And she basically said on that show that, look, Cardi B is not a great representation for women. And she specifically talked about not being a great representation for black women. And she agreed with Ben Shapiro's viral take on WAP that it is not empowering, that it is inappropriate, that it's embarrassing, that this is not like a trophy of feminism, but that it's actually something that self-respecting women should reject and should be embarrassed by. Basically, I'm, I'm summarizing some of her thoughts. That's not exactly what she said, but she agreed with Ben Shapiro and she posted about this on Twitter and she tagged Cardi B while Cardi B could not resist responding. And let me just read 
well, it'll be interesting me trying to read and decipher some of the things that uh, were said here by Cardi B. But Candace Owens says this on Twitter first, since most black people didn't have the spine to admit that Ben Shapiro was 100% correct about I am Cardi B and how her music and platform contributes to the disintegration of black culture and values. Here you go. And then she posts the video as well. Cardi B responds, you want to know why Joe got to talk to me, Candace? Because I have the number one song and yet my sister can't go to the beach in the Hamptons without Trump supporters harassing because they were by themselves and Santa Claus was harassing my sis GF all because they are uh, Afro-Hispanic gay couple. And then she posts this video of these two white men, I guess, talking to her sister, if I can interpret this. Her sister, she is saying, is a lesbian with uh, the woman that she was with on this beach at the Hamptons. And these Trump supporters apparently came up to her and were harassing her. I'm not totally sure what this had to do with the conversation. And I don't think Candace did either. Candace replies like this. To clarify, Joe Biden, quote, got to talk to you because you have the number one song and Santa Claus was harassing your sister. Um, OK, thanks for clearing that one up. I am Cardi B. Well, that's her handle. That's why I'm saying that this is how she responds to Candace. Yes, you are right. I have the number one song and I have a huge platform and I can make millions go vote and to get to get the man that used you. I don't want to argue with you, Candace. I really don't have the time. I honestly just feel sorry for you. Candace then responds, lastly, asking racist Joe Biden to lower your taxes in the same breath that you asked for free universal health care is about as thick as it gets. When you stick to music, you can get left alone. When you dabble in politics, you will get called out for platforming ignorance. Cardi says, well, paying taxes is something that as much as I hate, it's a reality I will always have to pay. Okay, I don't think that's something that Candace was contradicting in her tweet, but I rather my tax money go to free education than police funding. Use my money on something useful. Your president use our tax money to fund his empty campaign runs. Okay, so there's a lot of mistruths in that. I don't know if it's even important to fact check Cardi B, but our education funding has gone up exponentially since uh, 1960. Our spending per student has gone up exponentially since 1960. And yet school performance or student performance has not gone up. Teacher salaries have not gone up. As we talked about in the episode on school choice with Cory DeAngelis, that is in large part because of the corruption of the teachers unions, how they are managing the funds. They are not actually ensuring that teachers are getting paid more and they're not actually looking out for the well-being of the students, unfortunately. Um, And so we don't actually need more education funding. We need better use of the education funds that we have. And to say that our funding going towards the police isn't going towards a good use. I mean, it's really, really hard to imagine that you have spent any time, which I know Cardi B has, but this is still such a naive statement that you've spent any time in crime-ridden areas where women and children are very vulnerable to the criminals there. And the only line of defense that they have between the criminals in their area uh, and themselves is uh, the police force. Police, the uh, police presence is the most important in these high-crime 
high poverty areas. Rich people like Cardi B are always going to have her personal security, her private security, but the people who can't afford that, they need the police. And if you are a compassionate person who cares about the least of these, which Cardi B claims to, then you should be glad that your tax dollars are going towards the police. Let me take a quick break to tell you guys about Simply Safe. So, here's the thing about most home security companies they're really expensive, they're very complicated. You got to have someone come out and convince you to get a certain expensive package and install it and all that. And it's just a hassle. So, a lot of times you don't even end up getting a security system, making your family vulnerable. That is why I use Simply Safe because it's not only affordable, but it truly is simple. Simply Safe has everything you need to protect your home with none of the drawbacks of traditional home security. It's got an arsenal of sensors and cameras to blanket every room, window, and door tailored specifically for your home. Professional monitoring keeps watch day and night ready to send police, fire, or medical professionals if there's an emergency. You can set it up yourself in under an hour. Just peel and stick the sensors exactly where you need them. You don't even have to have a technician come out and set it up. There's no contract. There are no salespeople that are going to push you into a, a package that you don't need. No hidden fees, no fine print. It all starts at just $15 a month. I am not the only one who thinks Simply Safe is great. U.S. News and World Report named it the best overall home security of 2020. Had to Simply Save, that's simply with an I at the end, Simply safe.com slash Allie, A-L-L-I-E, and get a free HD camera for my listeners only that is simply safe.com slash Allie to make sure that they know our show sent you. Okay, so that's what Cardi B said. And then Candace replies, you are encouraging millions to go vote for the man that locked up entire generations of black men. Maybe go Google Joe Biden in 1994 crime bill. Joe Biden used you. Bernie Sanders used you. Neither of them like or know your music. That is... I would say guaranteed true that they do not know any song that Cardi B has ever done. They think you're dumb. Hashtag Trump 2020. Ouch. Cardi B. This is kind of long, but you wanted me to go through this. You wanted me to break down what's happening, and I just want to make sure that you're following all of it. Cardi B says, and you are encouraging millions to vote for a man who laugh every time a black man gets killed by a cop. Really? Do people laugh and tell millions of Americans to drink bleach? Okay, that obviously never happened. Trump didn't even have you talking at the Republican convention. He thinks you're dumb. Massa, did you dirty, but you mad at me? Question mark. Oh, man, you guys. Candace responds, produce the clip of Trump laughing at black men getting killed. You lying fraud. Number two, I turned down filming a spot for the RNC convention. Number three, you encourage millions of young girls to spread their, whoa. Okay, this is, hang on, we're getting into some explicit territory. If you're listening with kids, you might want to fast forward. Number three, you encourage millions of young girls to spread their legs and you admitted to date raping men. So don't even start on the bleach light. That is true about Cardi B um, admitting to date raping men and stealing their money. That is something that she did according to her when she was young. And it's just crazy that the Me Too movement doesn't extend to admitted sexual assaults uh, by women to toward men um, and that Joe Biden would do an interview with her, someone who has admitted 
to date raping men and then stealing their money. Like, is this someone that we are upholding as a hero? This is a serious person that you want to be interviewed by when you are the candidate for the president of the United States. I mean, just put aside all of her terrible music. I mean, this is the kind of behavior that she admitted to. We don't even know the things that she didn't admit to. Why are we engaging with that? Why are we legitimizing that? And why are we glorifying that? She's got another response Candace does. Number one, your tax dollars already go to free education. Genius. Number two, no campaign uses tax dollars for funding. That is illegal. Number three, defunding police initiatives have led to 200% increases in black men getting shot in inner cities. Stop supporting black people dying. Candace, again, I'm almost six months pregnant and had to rip I am Cardi B a new WAP. Watch here. Good night, fam. Hashtag Trump 2020 all day, every day. I am Cardi B, your baby singing wop, wop, wop. This, um, well, I just can't. I, you can read it if you are watching on YouTube, but I cannot repeat the next few words for this podcast. Wow, this keeps going, guys. I did not know that this, okay. Am I gonna be, okay, we're almost done. We're almost done. Candace says, attacking an unborn child. How very Democrat of you. While I have you, did you know your party has supported the slaughter of over 18 million black babies since 1973? Fact check, true. Did you know the most unsafe place for a black child is in the mother's womb because of your party, says Candace. Um... And then Chuck Ross says this, this genius uh, talking to Cardi B is one of the only people allowed to interview Joe Biden so far this year. And that is that is true. And so they also went back and forth on Instagram. They did some stories and then Cardi B got into some like really strange territory. If you didn't think that it was strange enough, what she was saying on Twitter about Santa Claus didn't even follow that. But then. On Instagram, she posted some she posted some weird pictures and some videos of like a doll or like a troll doll. I don't even know what it was like speaking like she was speaking for the troll doll and she was or she was holding the doll in the picture while she was speaking in the background. And it was very strange. I think Candace Owens broke Cardi B. This obviously really bothered Cardi B. And she kept on saying over and over again, I don't have time for this. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I don't have time for this. And she kept on going over and over again. And look, I'm not denigrating Cardi B. I know that she is very popular. She has the number one song, I think, internationally now. And so, you know, she has she went from nothing. She went from being poor. I don't really know her story, but according to her, she went from being poor, being a stripper to now being a millionaire rapper. And so she obviously has a lot of entrepreneurial spirit, whether you love her or hate her. So I am not trying to denigrate her for the sake of just putting her down. Okay, one more quick break to tell you guys about Laurel Springs. I have talked to you guys about them before and they are awesome. I know that for a lot of you, your homeschooling and homeschooling is a big adjustment right now. Well, Laurel Springs is an online program that can really help you. Online learning might be new for your family, but Laurel Springs has been doing this for nearly 30 years. So they are an expert in this industry. As the pros in online learning, Laurel Springs 
Dreams has the tools and the curriculum your child needs to maintain their learning unhindered by whatever the future holds. Their flexible learning programs designed for students in kindergarten through 12th grade offer challenging and diverse courses. And Laurel Springs is accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges in Cognia, which which means their transcripts are recognized by colleges and universities worldwide really a great tool, like really a great system for you and your family. If you are, uh, maybe you're just not ready to handle homeschooling on your own and you feel like you need a guide, but you still want that flexible schedule and you still like the idea of your child being at home, Laurel Springs is a great option for you. Register your child at laurelsprings.com slash Allie today and receive a waived registration free fee. So that is laurelsprings.com slash Allie for your waived registration fee. LaurelSprings.com slash Alley. Obviously, when it comes to politics and when it comes to being a moral example, Cardi B is not the person that I would go to, which is why I think it's so ridiculous that Joe Biden went to her for an interview when he keeps on turning down people like Chris Wallace on Fox News, whom we know is a fair journalist and who pushes back against Trump and Republicans a lot. That probably would be a really good interview. And yet Joe Biden is turning that down. He's turning down all kinds of hard hitting interviews because he knows that he can't handle it. His campaign knows that he can't handle it. Uh, His campaign has a lot of discernment in that regard. Some of that discernment, I actually wish that Donald Trump's campaign sometimes in the past would have with particular interviews. Um, But they understand that he doesn't get any benefit, Joe Biden, from being in front of the camera because he is not well-spoken. He can't remember the last thing he said. He can't remember the thing that he's going to say. He campaigns much better when he is not seen nor heard. And so they are hiding him, but they realize that with someone like Cardi B, she's not going to ask some hard-hitting question that he doesn't know how to answer, that he's just going to be able to kind of sit there and nod along as she says things that don't make sense. And because she's popular and she has a lot of followers, people are going to watch it. I don't think it's going to move the needle at all for Joe Biden, but I understand why marketing wise they chose Cardi B. But from the stance of, okay, substantive dialogue and being able to see what this candidate is made of, which I don't think we've been able to see with Joe Biden. Yes, he's been in politics for 47 years without much positive to show for it. Uh, But who is he going to be as president? We don't really know because He's not taking interviews. Cardi B is not going to ask him any hard-hitting questions. When he does do, rarely, when he does do these press conferences or when he's asked questions by the press, they ask him questions about Donald Trump. Like, they don't ask him, okay, what are your ties to China? What are your son's ties to China? Can you kind of clarify your position on X, Y, Z? Hey, you blamed the violence a couple weeks ago on right-wing militias. Do you have any evidence of that? We do not have a media Besides some in conservative media who will fact check Joe Biden, that's just the fact of the matter. It doesn't matter if he lies, doesn't matter if he exaggerates, it doesn't matter if he forgets what he was going to say and misspeaks. They continually give him the benefit of the doubt. They're not going to hold his feet to the fire because they so badly want Trump to win. And so that, of course, is or Trump to lose. That is why, of course, they chose his campaign, chose Cardi B to be his interviewer. Now, uh, what I think about that whole exchange, I mean, obviously, Candace is going to dominate Cardi B 
in these kinds of conversations, probably in any conversation, any kind of conversation or discussion about anything substantive. Honestly, it was hard for me to read. It was a little bit hard for me to watch. I just I it was like a train wreck. I just kind of wanted to look away because you almost start to feel sympathetic. You start to feel bad towards Cardi B because she has stepped into a realm that she just knows nothing about. And Candace knows a lot about. And whenever you do that, you are getting into very dangerous territory for yourself, at least. PR wise, I'm sure Cardi B's publicist would really uh, would really hope for her not to have these conversations. And yet uh, here she is doing just that. Now, my thoughts on the song WAP. Um, As I've said, I don't have I don't have a whole lot of thoughts like it's just another crazy, sexual, explicit rap song. She has sung similar songs before. Other female rappers have sung similar songs before. This is not the first one. I've heard a little bit of it. I haven't even heard the whole song. I read the lyrics, but the tune, of course, the beat is catchy, and that is why so many people are singing it, and so many people are saying that this is their like female empowering feminist anthem right now, and a lot of people are saying, okay, well, this is just so empowering because for so long, men have said this about us. Men have objectified us, and now we get to objectify ourselves. Isn't that awesome. Like, isn't that awesome that we get to embrace our sexuality and our sensuality and guys don't have to sing about those things for us. So that's the argument that I'm hearing that WAP is so empowering. But here's the question that you have to ask is, is objectification good? Like, is it good for women to be objectified? Is it good for women to be seen as sexual objects? If yes, then you shouldn't have any problem with men objectifying women in their songs. And I guess you wouldn't have any problem with women objectifying themselves in their and their songs. But but if objectification is wrong, like if you think it's wrong when men objectify women, then you would logically think it's wrong when women objectify women as well or when women objectify men. Is objectification wrong? Of course, as a Christian, I believe so, because people are not sexual objects. Like we are more than that. We are people with souls. We are made in the image of God. We have value and sexuality and sexual acts actually have an impact on our soul. It's not just a performance. It's not just something you do. It's not just a physical action. It has an effect. It has an impact on your soul. The Bible says that as Christians, our bodies are dwelling places for the Holy Spirit. So they matter. Of course, if you're not a Christian, that reality isn't there, but you are still a human being made in the image of God with great and immense value. You have a soul that is going to live forever. And I believe that there is something better for men and women than objectification. That doesn't mean that sexual desire is wrong. That doesn't mean that sex is wrong and bad. Of course, God has placed sex within the good and beneficial and productive and beautiful confines of covenant marriage. Um, And that is where I believe in Christians believe sex and sexuality thrives and um, is meant to remain. And when it goes outside of that, you see something like WAP. You see the objectification of men and women in the name of empowerment. But again, is objectification good? Is objectifying yourself as a sexual object or someone else as a sexual object good? Is it productive? Is it empowering? Does it lead to people being happy and healthy or does it lead to people being hurt? Um, 
And so this argument that men have been objectifying us for so long, now we get to objectify ourselves, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's like saying, okay, well, this man has abused me for so long. Now I'm going to take this matter into my own hands and abuse myself. No, abuse is wrong. Wouldn't it be better to not be abused altogether? Like if you think that objectification is wrong, then you should push back against the objectification that has existed in rap music for decades and has existed in other kinds of music. It's not just rap music that has talked about women as sexual objects to just be kind of used and abused. But I don't see how it's empowering or advancing women for us to talk about ourselves as objects to be used and abused. If objectification is wrong, then it's wrong no matter who is saying it. If someone is saying mean things about you, is it empowering for you to say mean things about yourself or is it better for no one to be saying mean things about people? I think the answer is obvious, but of course we see the faulty logic, if you can even call it logic, the illogic of the world when it comes to empowerment. You might have listened to my replay episode On Monday, why feminism will fail you, there are, if you haven't, go back and listen to it. There are constant contradictions when it comes to feminism. It is the best the world can do to uplift women. But as Christians, we don't need that. Like we have the most empowering, the most inspiring, the most confidence inducing material in the word of God that says women are made with equal dignity to men. We are made equally in the image of God. Yes, we have different proclivities. We have different um, inherent strengths and weaknesses. Our strengths and weakness, uh, weaknesses complement men's strengths and weaknesses. We have different roles. We have different responsibilities within the church and within the family. But God values women. We see that throughout Jesus's life, that he values the women that he created, that he extends attention. He extends nurturing. He extends forgiveness and grace uh, to women throughout his life and throughout his ministry. And so we don't need feminism and the contradictions of feminism and the glorification of objectification of feminism in order to, as Christian women, feel empowered. We have everything that we need for confidence, for godliness, uh, for peace about ourselves and who we are in Christ in the Word of God. Does that make the Word of God a feminist document? No, that makes it the Word of God. Like we don't need to adopt worldly ideologies or worldly philosophies or worldly trains of thought in order to feel empowered and cared for as women. We just need God, who He is and who He says that we are according to His Word. That's all we need. Now, this is the verse that I think specifically specifically speaks to this song WAP and why I didn't want to say anything about it because this verse I think speaks enough. It speaks everything that I think about it and everything that I think Christians should think about it. And I think that should be the end of the story. Philippians 4, 8, most of you who grew up in church know this verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Obviously, this doesn't just apply to that song. It applies to all things. And of course, we pray for discernment and for wisdom in knowing what that is. But those are my final thoughts on it. I think there's been a lot of analysis on it. And you guys probably already knew uh, what I was going to say. Okay, 
Moving on to this next story that I'm just so excited about. So uh, President Trump, he has decided that he is going to defund. He is going to make sure that taxpayer funds are not going towards the teaching of critical race theory in federal agencies. So there is a segment on Tucker Carlson last week that I am assuming that President Trump saw. I watched it with a man named Christopher Rufo, who I will actually have on this podcast in a couple of weeks, who reported that um, in the FBI and other federal agencies, they are teaching critical race theory. Now, if you have listened to my podcast for any amount of time, if you listened to or watched the episode with Neil Shenvey uh, from a few weeks ago, if you uh, listened to or watched the episode with Vody Bauckham or listened to or watched the episode with Monique Dusan, I highly recommend you doing that. Uh, you can just type in on your podcast app, Relatable Monique Dusan or Relatable Vody Bauckham or Relatable Neil Shenvey, and it will come up and you can listen to that. And they're also on YouTube as well. Then you know what critical theory is. Critical theory is the study of power structures and it views everything, Everything, every situation in the world, every bit of data, every bit of history from the lens of the oppressed versus the oppressor. And it uses your group identity. So it uses your skin color, your sexual orientation, your gender to categorize you and particular uh, group identity categories and assigns oppression points based on your group identity. The least oppressed being the straight white cisgender male, the most oppressed being the opposite of that. So if you are black, you get oppression points. If you're a woman, you get oppression points. If you are gay, you get oppression points and so on and so on. And this is how critical theory looks at the world. So it's not really interested in looking at objective truth or objective data. It is interested in looking at uh, the standpoint of the oppressed. That is how their world is interpreted And we've talked about the problems with that. For example, the 1619 Project presents itself as real history of America. And um, the lead essayist in that project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, has since come out and said, no, it's it's not supposed to be real history. It's not supposed to be objective truth. This is a narrative. We're challenging a narrative, of course, using this idea of critical theory. Critical race theory is looking at everything primarily through the lens of black versus white or white versus is non-white, all white people being oppressors, all non-white people being oppressed, and white people, all white people owing non-white people, no matter the experiences of individuals in each group, uh, owing them capital, owing them power, owing them deference, and all of these things. And So you can see the problems with this. Critical theory and critical race theory do not view people as individuals. It doesn't care about your experience as a white person, whether you've been poor, whether you've been abused, whether you've been oppressed in your life. It cares about the experiences or the even the uh, perceived or inherited experiences of non-white people. And so in this way, they believe all white people are racist. All structures built by white people are white supremacist structures, therefore a America is a white supremacist structure. Therefore, it needs to be taken down to the ground and destroyed and rebuilt in this intersectional uh, critical race theory way, which we don't even know what that is. But this is a form of Marxism. Marxism um, 
is a, a communist philosophy that says it is the proletariat versus the bourgeois, the working class versus the rich. And in the same way that he wrote in the Communist Manifesto that the proletariat need to have an uprising to take over the rich and to take their capital and to take their property and to take their stuff, critical race theorists say that non-white people need to do the same for white people who have been their oppressors for hundreds of years. So that's how the theory goes. It has to really warp some history and warp a lot of data and warp uh, a lot of inconvenient facts in order to fit this narrative. And yet that it does. Um, And so President Trump made an announcement that he is going to make sure that this is not allowed, that our taxpayer dollars are not paying for this when it uh, comes to federal agencies. So here is um, here is a letter from the White House. It has come to the president's attention that executive branch agencies have spent millions of taxpayer dollars to date training government workers to believe divisive anti-American propaganda. It is true. It is divisive anti-American propaganda. And let me just say something that Neil Shenvey and Monique Dusan have both said. Critical theory um, is not unifying. So it's not going to be the thing that brings us um, it brings us to, quote, racial reconciliation. It is not going to be the thing that brings us together because it says that white people are always guilty. You'll always be racist no matter what. And that non-white people don't have moral agency, that nothing is actually their fault. That's never going to bring two people together. That's always continually going to divide. And yet that is what is being taught, not just in these federal agencies, but it's being taught in all diversity and include uh, inclusivity trainings in corporate America right now and in schools by teachers unions, by the way. Um, the letter goes on to say, for example, according to press reports, employees across the executive branch have been required to attend trainings where they are told that virtually all white people contribute to racism or where, where they are required to say that they benefit from racism. Uh, in some cases, these trainings have further claimed that there is racism embedded in the belief that America is the land of opportunity or the belief that the most qualified person should receive a job. So their critical race theory says that that is bad goes on to talk about where uh, this training is coming from and where it's going on. Um, In the meantime, all agencies are directed to uh, begin to identify all contracts or other agency spending related related to any training on, quote, critical race theory, white privilege, or any other training or propaganda effort that teaches or suggests either, one, that the United States is an inherently racist or evil country, or two, that any race or ethnicity is inherently racist or evil. Duh, because that's racist. So it's good that President Trump is against this. In addition, all agencies should begin to identify all available avenues within the law to cancel any such contract and or to divert federal dollars away from these un-American propaganda training sessions. Yes, and amen. This is so good by President Trump. I am so thankful for this. This is an instance in which being a cultural warrior, being a culture warrior is good. And him watching Fox News is good. This should not be going on in our FBI and in our federal agencies. Our taxpayer dollars should not be contributing to this divisive, anti-American, anti-white, anti-capitalist propaganda. I mean, this stuff is cancerous. It really is. And the wider it spreads, the more it infects people's minds. This stuff is going on in elementary schools as young as kindergarten, even preschool. I mean, this stuff is insidious. This stuff is bad. This stuff has to be pushed against. And I commend President Trump for for making this effort. You can guarantee that under Biden and Kamala, this stuff will be spread 
everywhere. And they will make sure that our taxpayer dollars are funding it even more than they already are. Let me give you an example of this diversity and uh, inclusivity training. So this is a video that has been going around and I don't know where it is, uh, where it's actually from. Uh, I don't know what corporation brought this person in, this person named Ashley to come in and have this training, but someone filmed it and they posted it on social media. Here is a here is a clip of what was going on there. All white people are racist. So <laughs> I put this up because I really want any white person in the room to know up front that this is what we're dealing with, that it's not going to be this coddling of white tears and what that looks like. We're not going to discuss, oh, maybe some of us have worked it out. No, you're always going to be racist, actually. So even when you're on your path to trying to figure out how to be a better human being, um, because I believe that white people are born into not being human, like that actually instead of people of color and black folks being dehumanized, that actually everyone is dehumanized off rip within white supremacy, that y'all are born into a life to not be human. And that's what y'all are taught to do, to be demons. Okay, so all white people, she says, are demons. They are subhuman. White people, she said, we are born subhuman, which is actually an argument that I heard uh, the leader of BLM in Toronto, Canada, she made the same argument. And unfortunately, this is an idea that is going around. And she is saying it to white people's faces. She is saying that all white people are racist. Not only that, but you're subhuman and you're demons. And if you're not watching, she also has on the on the paper that she has this written down that all white people are racist. She has her PayPal. So she wants white people to pay her, I guess, because they're white and she's black and she is pretending that she is oppressed, even though she has this job that's probably making plenty of money telling white people that they're racist. Like in what, how many other countries, like, are you free to make money from that capitalism is crazy, man. And uh, so she is telling these white people that they're demons, but they also need to pay her. Like, this is what's going on in these diversity and inclusion uh, trainings. And it's not only racist, but it's destructive and it's divisive. And it's just going to create resentment and bitterness between people of all types. This is not creating the reconciliation that we want, which is exactly why I think that it is so unfortunate and so sad when you see Christian leaders kind of latching on to this thing, saying all white people are guilty, all black people are alleviated from any responsibility or any moral agency for what they do because they're just products of oppression and everything they do is a product of oppression and all white people are at least complicit, if not actively racist, even if you don't know their heart. And so they preach to white people about their white privilege and they preach to black people about their oppression when really what both groups need is the gospel. As we've talked about before Ephesians says that uh, that Jesus brought the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles together by tearing down the dividing wall of hostility. How? Through critical race theory or critical religion theory? No, through himself, by offering himself as the reconciling sacrifice, the reconciling sacrifice of um a sinful people to a holy God. And in that way, by sa- by reconciling a sinful people to a holy God, he also reconciled two disparate groups, two far apart groups, the Gentiles and the Jews. If he can do that just by being our savior and being our redeemer, then he can reconcile any two groups. And I do believe in racial unity. I believe in the unity of the church, unity under truth, unity under love, unity under the gospel. And I know that 
critical theory in any form is not going to get us there. It is not biblical to say that one group is inherently more guilty or complicit because of their skin color and one group is less responsible for their sins and in less need of repentance because of their skin color. You are doing an eternal disservice to your congregations if that is what you're preaching because one group is going to feel like they carry a responsibility for the actions of other people that they don't actually carry. And that is actually going to inhibit them from the repentance that they really need in their own individual lives. And it is going to convince another group that they are not as responsible for their own sins, that they are going to be given some kind of a pass for their sins because it's just the product of oppression. That ain't going to fly before the judgment throne of God. It's not. So if you care about your congregant souls, white, black, brown, whatever it is, then you need to be preaching the gospel. And again, does that mean, as I've said so many times, does that mean that we don't care about justice? Does that mean that we shouldn't say racism is a sin? No, I don't believe that at all. Of course, racism is a sin. You can't love God and hate your brother, First John says. And any kind of ism, sexism, ageism, ableism that hates or demeans someone because of some kind of immutable characteristic is, of course, hate. And it should be rejected by a Christian. And if you talk about that, of course, I think that is okay. But pretending that racism can only happen in one group of people or only does happen among one group of people with a lower melanin count or pretending that injustice only happens from one group of people with a lower melanin count uh, or the opposite, by the way, I don't think there's anyone preaching the opposite. But uh, if you are preaching complicity or guilt based on your skin color and uh, alleviation or uh, abdication of responsibility because of your skin color, then you are not preaching the gospel and you are not preaching truth. You are preaching critical race theory. And that means you are going to divide your congregation. You are going to lead them down a divisive and a bitter and a malicious path that will hurt their theology, will wreck their entire theology. Unfortunately, Pastor Eric Mason, from the things that I have seen of him recently, he has gone down this path of saying that the reason, he said this multiple times recently, that the reason why, in his words, some black people have gone down the path of uh, African spiritualism or bad theology um, is uh, is because of whiteness and is because of white churches. And so, again, no responsibility for the false teachers within communities, um, but it's actually the fault of an, another group. And uh, he makes it seem in some of the sermons that he has posted on Twitter recently that uh, it is the, the black church that has been uh, systemically wronged. And because of that, they are going to be rewarded in a particular way and they are not going to be held responsible for certain things in a particular way. And maybe I hope I'm not misinterpreting that. I hope that I'm wrong on that. I hope that maybe the the clips that have been posted are wrong on that. But he is certainly an example of someone whose theology has just been absolutely wrecked by critical race theory, along with Carl Rentz, Lentz from Hillsong. Now, I wouldn't he's not someone that I would say 
had like this solid theology and that I would have gone to as a teacher and now has been led astray. I think it seems that his theology has always been on shaky ground. Like whenever you have someone unable to say publicly, yeah, abortion is wrong. Abortion is a sin. This is what I think about that. I think that it's always a a good question just to take a second look at what their theology and what their worldview is. I say that as someone who has been in those situations many times and has had to say very uncomfortable biblical things in front of people that I disagree with. I'm much more disappointed by people in the church and their lack of discernment than I am the world's lack of goodness. Like the world, according to the Bible, is supposed to be foolish. Like the world is supposed to embrace stupidity like critical race theory. They're supposed to be confused. They're supposed to not know what truth is. They're supposed to be deceived. Jesus himself says their father is the devil, whom he calls the father of lies. They're supposed to be blind. They're supposed to be joining in with movements like Black Lives Matter and buying into false narratives and linking arms with destructive movements that present a facade of righteousness, but underneath are just death and decay. They're supposed to be doing that. That is in their nature. As Ephesians 2 said, they says they are dead in their sin. They follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. They are supposed to be confused. Uh, But the church isn't. The church is not supposed to be confused. The church is supposed to be truthful. Uh, Our God is the source of truth. He is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Jesus says the truth will set you free. Jesus says, sanctify them, Father, in truth. Your word is truth. We have the truth. We shouldn't be confused about all of this. We shouldn't be confused by critical theory and critical race theory. We shouldn't be confused about whether or not it is biblical and going to lead to reconciliation. We know it leads to reconciliation. Uh, God is the giver of wisdom. If we ask for it, he will give it to us without reproach, as the book of James says. And if we seek it, according to the book of Proverbs, we will find it. We are not supposed to take our cues on justice, on race, on unity, on reconciliation from the world. Uh, If the world is raising their fists in solidarity, that is the first sign for us to wonder if whether or not our hand should be down. If the rest of the world, whether they believe in God or not, is doing something, we should probably ask ourselves if we need to be doing that thing too. We shouldn't be falling in with the mainstream just because it's popular. And if something is popular in mainstream, that's a really good time for us to take a step back and say, what does God's word say about this? If the world, for example, is justifying rioting and looting, then we shouldn't be. If the world is adding anger to anger and resentment to resentment and injustice to injustice and division to division, then we should not be. I was reading Proverbs 1 over the weekend, and I thought it was just so appropriate with what we are talking about right now. I'm going to read you some of it. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then it goes on to a father is talking to his son about resisting sin and sinners. My son, if sinners entice you, verse 10 says, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. 
Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood for in vain. A net is spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So he is talking about sinners and how they are looting, they are killing, they are murdering, their feet are swift to shed blood, they are looking for trouble, they are looking for death, they are looking for destruction, they are looking to satisfy their own uh, desires in a way that is uh, that is destructive toward other people and destructive toward society. And this father to his son is saying, resist that and remember what your mother and I have taught you. Remember wisdom, love instruction, love discipline, love discernment. And all of these things start with a fear of the Lord. And so we are seeing right now the difference between wisdom, what wisdom looks like and a lack of wisdom looks like literally in the streets. We are seeing a lack of wisdom, a lack of a love of discipline, a lack of a love of instruction. And unfortunately, a lot of these kids, a lot of these young adults that are out here doing the things that they are doing destroying entire cities in the name of so-called justice, which their definition of justice, of course, is not God's definition of justice. They probably lacked what we see in Proverbs uh, in Proverbs 1, verses 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. A lot of these people either didn't love their mother and father's teaching or they didn't have a mother and father that taught them the good wisdom and the fear of the Lord that parents are supposed to teach their kids so they can resist the path, the destruction path of sinners whose feet are swift to shed blood. And so we see in Proverbs 1 exactly how we are supposed to be, exactly the kind of life that we are supposed to lead, exactly the kind of behavior that we are supposed to resist. And that comes from one, the fear of the Lord, and two, the wisdom and the direction and the discipline of parents. And we are seeing a dereliction of duty right now in the streets of one pastors and two fathers. And no, it's not all the responsibility on these two groups because people do make their own decisions. People who have great pastors and great dads can still go out and be derelicts. They can still go out and be bad people. But I think so many of the problems that we are seeing right now, so much of the chaos is because of a lack of strong male leadership, both in the pulpit and at home. And we see from Proverbs 1 how important that is. So we as Christians, that's what we need to be emphasizing. The importance of one, fearing the Lord, knowing that that is the beginning of knowledge, as Proverbs 1 says, the discipline, the direction, the instruction, the love, the care of parents in guiding their children and helping them resist sin. And we also see the stark contrast uh, contrast between what the world looks like, which is uh, a very clear description of some of the things that are going on in our streets and what we are to look like. We are to resist that. We are to seek justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with our God as my God. God, as Micah 6, 8 says, 
we have to know what justice is according to God's word, which is we have talked about on this podcast many times. Justice doesn't mean retribution, doesn't mean revenge. It doesn't mean rioting and looting. God is very clear about the protection of personal property, as we have also talked about. The Ten Commandments says, do not steal, but it also says, do not covet. So you can't even want your neighbor's stuff. That is how important private property is according to God's word. So that author who says in defense of looting, that's just a, a Western prescribed personal property is just a Western prescribed white supremacist idea. No, that's actually God's idea that dates back a a lot longer than America has. We know that justice, according to God's word, is four things. It is truthful. It is proportional. It is direct and it is impartial. And we have talked about the verses that point to that. So you can go back and you can listen to some of the episodes that we've done on justice. I think last Monday we did an episode on justice. So you can go back and listen to that. So, yes, we we. We do justice according to Micah 6, 8, but we know what justice looks like. And it is not, it is not what the world says it looks like. The world's definition of justice is what uh, Proverbs 1 looks like. Uh, The description of the sinners going out into the streets and uh, killing people and uh, looting and uh, plundering and causing chaos. That is not what justice looks like, according to God's word. And it makes me sad that there are people within the church who are weak on this and who are teaching the theories like critical race theory that is actually just exacerbating this and justifying this instead of preaching the gospel, which is the only thing that unifies and is not even preaching. Every pastor, by the way, needs to preach, uh, needs to preach a sermon on justice. What is justice according to God's word? What is the role of the government? What is the role of the family? What is the role of the church? What is the role of the individual? Every pastor needs to be preaching that, that God's justice has a definition, that God's role of the government is defined, that God's role of the family, that God's role of the church, that God's role of the individual is defined. What does it mean for these entities to seek God's justice? And unfortunately, a lot of the people that are quoting Micah 6, 8 to do justice and love mercy, they are not walking humbly with their God. And so they take this word justice and they misconstrue it and they define it how they want to define it. Um, But we know that understanding what justice looks like, according to Proverbs 1, it starts with a fear of the Lord. So that was a little bit rambly, I know. We kind of went down several different avenues, but those are the thoughts that I was having over the weekend as I am just continually saddened by the lack of discernment that a lot of professing Christians have in this area, buying into a false narrative and using worldly prescriptions um, for spiritual problems. And it's just not what we are called to do. As I've said several times, Christian, you are bound to the truth. Okay, that's all I have today. If you guys have not picked up my book, You're Not Enough, and that's okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, uh, please do alibethstuckycom slash book. You can also pick it up at your local Barnes & Noble or independent bookstore, maybe even at your local library. Join Women's Book Club with Ali Stuckey. We are starting, we just finished discussing this, but you can go back and you can look at the discussions and... Um, we are about to start Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. So if you're a woman, who, a woman who wants to join that book club, please do on Facebook. And that's all I have for today. I will see you back here on Friday.